Hello, and welcome to another episode of Norboard's Builder Insights Podcast. Builder Insights is your best source of information on new building techniques, materials, tools, and codes. Keep up to date with the latest developments as well as tips and tricks that will save you time and money on the job site. And now, Builder Insights. John A. Corson, an established housing industry executive, became president and chief executive officer of the Home Builders Institute in 2012. Corson's priorities at HPI are to identify new revenue streams and create new programs that build on HPI's core competencies, such as training, curriculum development, and job placement services. The following podcast was recorded at the 2018 International Builders Show in Orlando. John, today we're going to talk a little bit about the Home Builders Institute, and before we get started on that, I'd like to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and where, how you came to be at the HBI. Sure, be happy to. I actually was a 50-year veteran in the mortgage banking business. Had my own company in California and was chairman of the Mortgage Bankers Association and got out of the business when things got tough in 2007 and I got a call from MBA, the National Association, would I come into DC because they had a mess. They had a spec office building vacant been losing millions of dollars and would I come in for three years and try to clean up the mess. Mm -hmm. So we thought it was always, I mean, the home's in California. We thought, well, it'd be cool to live in a downtown metropolitan area. We love D.C., been coming in there for since the 70s. So came to D.C. to do that, finished it, cleaned it up. And then we decided, well, you know, rather than go back home and retire and so on, we sort of like D.C. And so it happened to be that I'm very good friends with Jerry Howard, who's the CEO of the National Association of Home Builders. Jerry and I had lunch. He says, what are you going to do? I said, well, you know, what I'd like to do is I want to do a nonprofit thing. Mm-hmm. He says, right place. He says, send me your resume. I've got an idea. And go to this website and look. Well, the website was Home Builders Institute, HBI. And Jerry said, I'm going to give your resume to the search committee. They're finished, almost finished with the search. I'm going to give it to them. So I came in and I interviewed. And here I am at HBI. That was 2012. Originally signed on for a three-year gig, if you will, to really take HBI from where it was and sort of rebrand it and expand it. And we can talk about later, but the scope of it for a three-year period. And now I'm in year six and love it. Can you give us some history of HBI and how it came to be? Sure. HBI, actually, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary, just finishing last year. And it started as the Workforce Development Department of the National Association of Home Builders and started there 50 years ago. Doing home, uh, obviously, the same thing we do today, training and uh, students. Really what set it off was we, when the Job Corps program was formed, and that was back in the Sergeant Shriver day, started Job Corps and so on way back when. We were the first national training contractor to provide training for students at Job Corps centers. And as that grew and continued to grow and we grew larger, in 1982, the uh, HBI was formed. And we took that group from NAHB and formed HBI as a separate 501c3 nonprofit, independent from home builders, but still obviously very closely aligned as partners and so on, because we then were the largest national training contractor for Job Corps. And from that point forward, HBI then continued to operate as a nonprofit in Job Corps and started to form other programs. So you are connected to the NAHB? We are. We, we're really good partners. I would say we're part of a federation. We have, obviously, our board of trustees is really about 50-50 between home builders and those who are active in NEHB and the other 50 being 
really a rather remarkable group of folks, including those who are in the media, those who are in other nonprofits, those who are in individual. General George Casey, four-star general, the ex-chief of staff of the Army, is on our board for and helped us with our military. So a very diverse board, and we've dramatically changed the composure of that board since I came there mm -hmm. because what we saw was that it was great having all home builders, but we had it, as we're going to grow and expand, we had different needs of different skills on the board of trustees right. who could open doors for us and advise us and show us how to expand the breadth and depth of our training program because the challenge was that at that point in 2012, Job Corps was really probably about 80 or 90 percent of our training. And the mission was to expand, keep Job Corps, very important, yep. but expand and grow other training programs with other populations. So do you work with any state or local HBAs? We do. They're the key. If our closest relationship with any HB would be their state and local HBAs. We can train, I like to say, we can train any population and any location mm -hmm. and have programs up and standing. But what we don't do is go in and recruit students. We right. can't go into a state or a city and say, we're HBI from Washington, D.C., and we're here to help you. So the HBAs are that connection. I see. We go, they're the ones whose member needs skilled workers. And so we go to the HBAs and say to them, you identify a population. Is it partnering with the National Urban League? Is it partnering with Goodwill? Is it partnering with groups like the United Way? Sure. Where can we, charter schools, where can yeah. we partner? And they provide the connection, if you will, for us to go in, form an alliance, form a partnership with a nonprofit who has a population that then can be connected to us for our training. And then when we finish and have students who are certified and ready for job placement, obviously we want to place them back with the members of the HBA who are the ones crying out for skilled labor. One of your roles is to create new programs. What new programs have you seen emerge in the last five years and why? I would say the sweet spot for HBI coming back from the Job Corps days and the initial days after I was there were youth. And let's, let's term youth maybe 17 to 24. And what we had done is uh, some of those youth are underserved youth in that they've dropped out of school, they've been thrown out of school, they finish school but don't have any aspiration or ability to go to higher education that really need jobs. Some are what we, I would call at-risk youth, adjudicated youth. These are kids who have been in trouble. They come through the courts. They come through the juvenile justice systems, youth uh, social services areas, and that's the second population. So that's a population that we had trained along with adults mm -hmm. who are in reentry from yeah. ex-offenders and so on. So that's sort of been our sweet spot. But we've expanded that but a couple of ways. One, we've grown the number of those kind of programs we have and the partnerships. We've created partnerships with Urban League and so on, which we didn't have, which lets us expand. In addition to that, we have created a veterans and military program. So we're very active in trading veterans and active military. One of our largest initiatives over the last couple of years has been to put our program on military installations mm -hmm. where military personnel, soldiers and what have you, will are going to be transitioning out of the service and back into civilian life. These are soldiers who the typical demographic, they're 22, 23 years old. They graduate from high school. They enlisted in the Army. They've been in the infantry artillery. So they don't have a skill immediately portable back into right. uh, civilian life. So they come into our program. We assess them, determine yeah. what they really want to do when they transition out. We train them. They get a certification. And then we place them in jobs when they separate yeah. from the service. And that has been a, a fabulous program for us. 
and we now are in four bases, and in, 19, in 2018, we're going to add four more. Wow. Uh, it's What's happening is the demand really is sort of outstripping uh, our ability to stand up programs fast right. enough, and we're now transitioning from the Army into a, we're going to be on a couple of Marine bases now and in a couple of Naval bases. So wow. that really has taken off. It's a very gratifying. And these soldiers that are coming back must come back with some skills as well, right, that they've they, they do. Well, I'll tell you what. What we like about and what they're great at is they're used to working as a team. They show up every morning at 8 o'clock, the salute discipline. the flag, <laughs> unlike an 18- or 20-year-old kid who's, sure. who's dropped out of school. And they work with their hands, and they work out of doors. Actually, right. the environment we put them in to be framers or what so have you exactly is better than the, their last deployment in Afghanistan. Yes, so exactly. it's a really a plus for them. Uh, so that's, been, that's a growing part of our program. And then the other thing, which is relatively new, I'd say over the last 18 months, is we are actively now placing our curriculum, our pre-apprenticeship certificate training curriculum, in high schools, in secondary schools. There has been, everybody talks about the lack of vocational training in schools over right. recent years. And one of the things that's happened, particularly in home building business, is the fact that there's been no pipeline of, right. of those who are interested in and trained. And so what's happened is there, there, the skilled construction labor force is an aging labor force. Mm-hmm. It's probably, it's on average about 50 years. And there's this big gap. So as all the workers who, in the downturn left, there's been no pipeline to fill that. Right. So the schools are now interested in vocational training. What we are doing is we've taken our packed, our pre-apprenticeship curriculum, molded it to a three- or four-year high school. We, again, using HBAs, Home Builders right. Associations, they know the school principals, the school board, the district superintendents, and they connect us with the, with the schools, and then we come in and stand up our program in those high schools. And that's something that, to really accomplish that, it got, it's getting so much momentum, we've really reshaped the inside of our internal organization to create more resources in our, and formed a career and technical education area so we can stand up more programs. Because, frankly, right now we have more demand than we've had ability to travel yeah. to the sites and stay in the program. So we've changed that. So that is a very exciting and rapidly going. Now, that's not necessarily instant gratification. Because those kids are still taking English and math. Sure. They come to ours as vocational. But by the time they graduate as a senior, if they don't want to go on to a two- or four-year school, they're ready to go to work. They're certified. They're ready to be hired by the members of that HBA. And those kids have an alternative as opposed to graduating and not having a skill or a trade that they can go. And eh, part is, too, you know, the, I think the industry, to be very honest, has done a lousy job of going out to the public, going out to the American population and selling the fact that a career in home building, mm-hmm. a career in the skilled trades is an honorable and good business. It, it has upward mobility. Not to mention well-paying. Yeah. It, it, you know, it has, it has career paths. It's well-paid. There's demand for it. And there's just this sort of still cloud that, gee, do I want my Johnny who's in uh, sophomore in high school to be a plumber? I think the industry, and I'm not pointing fingers at any one association, but there's all these associations, has not created a message out there that this is a good and honorable business and one they should get in. I I used to say, for example, I'd love to find the funding to do a study, and I'd like to take a student who finishes a four-year university curriculum, and track them for five years after they've left and see what their compensation is at that point minus student debt. 
and then I want to take a kid that comes out of our program and track them for five years and see what they're making. And intuitively, I think I know the answer, yeah. but I, no one's going to take my word for it. So right. we'd like yeah. to figure out how to fund something like that because I think that's true. Yeah. So that's a big lift. They we get started get, much quicker, don't they? Yeah, they do. And they yeah. come out. Look, they can come out. It varies widely, but, you know, kids coming right out of that at 18 and making $12, $15 an hour, that's a big deal. That's yeah. a good thing for them. What challenges do you see for the HBI in the coming year? Our challenge is always funding. No one pays, no student in any HBI program pays anything for the training. And that's something that has been a tenet of ours and always will be. So every time we open a new program, whether it's for youth, whether it's for adult offenders or ex-offenders, military, we have to find funding. And what we've done, we previously we relied very heavily on government funding. Our Job Corps program is funded through contracts with the Department of Labor. A lot of our youth programs are funded through appropriations from states, the State Department of Juvenile Justice, the State Department of Corrections, and so on. Mm -hmm. A number of our programs are funded through workforce investment boards, local boards that they get money from the federal government that's downstream to the state, that's downstream to these local workforce boards. Those are all sources of funding, but they're hard. Right. They're hard to get. I mean, we have large programs in Florida, for example, that every year we have to go through the process of hoping and praying and working hard to get those programs funded again. It's always an appropriation from the state. Wow. It's a hard way to live. So our challenge is to find alternative sources of funding. And we've been wonderful in doing that. I'm sitting here in Norboard, and that is a perfect example of somebody who it really was remarkable from the first time I, Doug McNeil and, and Ross Comerford were in my office yeah. to where we have today, and that's the kind of funding that we need to attract. And I think we've got a message. Sure. I mean, I don't want to speak for Norboard, but I think after we sat there and this fabulous Thank a Framer campaign that we tried to play some role in and support was the start of something that they now see. We have conversations this morning about we traveled to two correctional facilities yesterday for youth. We have military. We have, we're now taking the, Nor, the very, very incredibly generous Norboard donations, and we are taking and standing up two programs. We are in Tampa, Florida with a charter school, and we're going to train youth thanks to Norboard dollars, yes. and we're going to certify those youth, and we're going to go get them jobs in the industry. We're training them in carpentry. And the next place we'll go is with Norboard money is we'll be in Texas. And we're trying to put sites in states where the Irma and Maria had and Harvey hit so that those kids can have plenty of opportunities for jobs to work in those disaster areas. And that's a remarkable commitment. Uh, I know where I'm sitting, but I, I said it in public a lot of places that someone like Norboard has stepped up and done. And there's other foundations and other support like that. So we need to expand that. We're only held back by our funding resources to grow faster. How can local government representatives support the HBI? And, and, and why should they? When you go in and you talk to a state and, and local government officials and so on, they all have issues with uh, youth, corrections, social services, unemployment. So they have populations in their cities that need jobs. This is all about jobs. I say, you know, training is what we do, but training is only a vehicle. Our mission and vision is to take these populations and get them jobs. And and so cities have have a need to try to address, and how do I address that population? We go in, we've had a lot of travel, and we've gone to a lot of cities and counties and so on, and I always talk about what we do, but I say to them, it's not up to us 
to tell you what population should be trained. We right. can train them all. We can train anybody in any location. You tell us the populations that you believe have the greatest need and can provide us the connection to have a flow of students, and we can train them. Because our curriculum, our pre-apprenticeship certificate curriculum, is the same through all those spectrum of populations okay. we've talked about. And, and frankly, the other thing we say to them is we want to make these students taxpayers rather than right. tax users. Right. <laughs> That's very good. What advice do you have for builders for 2018? Well, I think the builders really, I know that they're starved for skilled labor. Frankly, the advice I'd have now, this is my old mortgage banking days, is make contributions to HBI. Because <laughs> right. if we're only limited by yeah. the dollars that we get, and, and frankly, I have to be very candid, we don't get any money from the industry. Right. It's just, it, it's ironic, all the funding sources I mentioned and the foundations and so on, all we, don't, of the we don't get any money from the industry. We get no, no money. We do from the suppliers and folks yes. like you, but yeah. from real builders themselves yeah. or associations and so on, we don't get any money. And it's sort of ironic that everybody talks about the skills gap and, yeah. and the need. Yeah, they know the it, problem. It, it's really not our problem. That's right. not HBI's problem. That's the home builder's problem. We can solve it for them, but it's yes. really their problem. And so the bane of my existence is one that this year we've just got to figure out a way to get home builders supporting HBI, not only with attaboys, but with yeah. George Washington dollars. <laughs> what advice do you have for young people who are considering a training program with HBI? Yeah, well, as I said before, uh, it really is a honorable and good industry to be in. I understand two- and four-year schools. I've got two grandsons who are 20. They're both sophomores in college and so on, and they're going to have great careers and so on, and they wouldn't have an interest in this. But I also know I sat through two high school graduations with those two guys two years ago, and in both of them, one was in Arizona and one was in, in uh, Virginia, and in both of those, the principal stands up and crows about, we have umpteen percent of our students going to four-year schools, and here are the schools and the scholarships. We have umpteen going to two-year schools and so on. And I walked out of there, and when you asked them, how do you think the parents and the kids feel that are the 35% that aren't going on? They don't right. want to. They can't. Are they chopped liver? And so I, th I say to those students, you know, if you don't want to, I think it's great to get a college education, and if they can, two and four years, wonderful if that's what they want to do. I'm not besmirching that. But from the same standpoint, if they don't, look at a trade. Look at a trade. I, not even just construction. Look at a trade. Is it automotive? Is it manufacturing? Is it IT? Is it uh, medical technology? Look at a trade and find yourself a trade. And I think the schools are trying to recognize that now. Yes. And so that's why I think there's this renewed interest in bringing trades into the schools. And and I think for a kid, I saw, look around. Don't just graduate and say, oh, me, I don't have a job. There's plenty of opportunities out there if they'll search them out. That's all I have for today. Okay. Thank you very Thank much. You. That concludes this installment of Norboard's Builder Insights Podcast. You'll find more of the same great content on our blog, including show notes and links to additional information. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing, liking, and subscribing on iTunes. Thanks for listening.